In this episode, we're going to talk about how you can play Star Trek Adventures online. This is STA Engage. Welcome to the show. I am your host, as always, Dr. RPG Jeff Harvey. In the last episode, we talked about how you can understand, create, and use mission briefs. Uh, and if you have any questions about those uh, crafting stories for your Star Trek gamer night, that it's a good place to start. So you can check that out. Uh, and if you have any other questions that you want us to answer, any topics you want us to cover, um, or just thoughts and feelings, uh, send your questions to questions at staengage.com. Uh, we're going to do a Q&A episode at the end of season one. So send your thoughts and whatnot in. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be joined by a special guest, one of the STA community leaders, the sole moderator of the Star Trek Adventures subreddit, the prolific writer of, what, close to 20 STA adventures. Uh, you can download and play from various places. Uh, I think DriveThruRPG has most of them. Uh, and uh, a master of playing Star Trek adventures online, Mr. ELH. ELH, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. I like your uniform. It's pretty fancy. Thank you. Uh, the goal of this show is to help Star Trek fans and role-playing fans better engage with the Star Trek franchise as a whole uh, and uh, the game and the community at large. This show is brought to you by the letter H, the number five, which is something I had that one for Voyager season five. Um, oh, the name of the episode is Flesh and Blood and Voyager season five. There we go. That's I remember now. All right. Uh, the support of people like you and uh, yeah. So like, subscribe, share, and support us on Patreon if you can. Um, if you want to find out more about the folks that sponsor the show or put the show together, uh, our production team at Studio Tembo or the folks over at Continuing Missions, uh, sta.com, um, or our primary sponsor for this season, uh, Adventure Inc. Uh, just follow the links below and uh, you can find anything right there. Um, so before we get into too deep into talking about how to play online, ELH, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like who is ELH? So ELH, the person, um, I am more or less a game master of only seven or eight years. I haven't been at this, you know, super long compared to other people. Um, but it's one of those things where um, I sort of started with Dungeons and Dragons, as I think most dungeon masters do. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong, dungeon mastering for D&D &D was nice. But and I think I'm preempting a question here. Um, it was one of those things where I eventually encountered Star Trek Adventures through uh, Shield of Tomorrow which is I think how most people initially got involved with it because, you know, Star Trek Adventures was sort of that niche sort of system that not many people knew about out of Modiphius. Um, but what I did is uh, obviously I was an avid fan of Star Trek. I looked into Star Trek Adventures and I fell in love instantly. Um, I pretty much have been running it for three, almost four years at this point, something close to that. And it's one of those things where because I was already such a fan of Star Trek that, you know, running Star Trek Adventures, writing Star Trek Adventures, it just became sort of a hobby that I fell in love with all over again. Right. So uh, between all the games you've played now, you, you've done the Dragon Star Trek Adventures, what's your favorite game? Oh, hands down, it has to be Star Trek Adventures. Um, there is just so many unique things about this system that I think does almost... Um, I don't want to say fan service to Star Trek Adventures, but I mean, it's pretty close to what I'm, I'm thinking of 
in that it really feels like you're running an episode of Star Trek if you do it right, where it really feels like um, you have meaning both as player and game master uh, on both sides of the table that you're contributing equally to a shared narrative, which you can get that with games like uh, Dungeons and Dragons and other systems. But I feel like Star Trek Adventures does it so well um, that it just comes so naturally compared to other systems. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, you've written a lot of modules for Star Trek Adventures. Um, I think I said before, you can get most of them on DriveThruRPG. I'm not sure where else they can be found, but uh, feel free to let us know. So what? What? how many have you written and what's your favorite module that you've written? Um, well, they're also available on, on Continuing Mission. I am a contributor there. So uh, you can get them Continuing Mission, DriveThruRPG. Um, they're on my Patreon, but they're for free. So you don't actually have to pay anything. Um, but in terms of module writing, I think I counted it up the other day. It was something like 22, 23. Yeah. Um, but I think my most favorite uh, module has to be Psy Shift. And for those who don't know, Psy Shift is basically this semi-horror, semi-spooky episode uh, where the players are more or less drawn to Psy Station this random outpost on the edge of space uh, via a very disturbing uh, distress call. But when they get there, they find out that everything's fine. And it sort of becomes this exploration of what is fear in the context of Star Trek? What is fear in the context of a tabletop role-playing game? And it's one that I've gotten the most feedback about. And it, it's actually somewhat of a polarizing topic. Either you have people that really buy into the concept and love it, or you have people that don't do horror and they hate it. So it's, it's a really interesting thing to see where people stand on it. Yeah. I'm not, I've, I've never been comfortable with, with doing horror in Star Trek, but I like the tension. I have seen that, that adventure. I haven't run it yet, but I've taken a couple things from it. So um, I definitely, I think I have most, if not all of your, your stuff so far, I've, I've, I've gone through uh, or at least read most of it. So um, mm -hmm. how much experience do you really have running the game? I know you said about, uh, running the game online, really. Uh, I know you said you've been running the game for about four years or so. How much that's been online? Uh, all of it's been online. Um, okay. In fact, I, I've pretty much only done online games since 2016. Um, so it's one of those things where I feel like I have a lot of experience with the online game mastering perspective. But of course, you know, I'm always learning and growing. So sure. what what's the platform that you primarily use? Uh, definitely Roll20. Um, I've been a pro subscriber at Roll20 for probably about the same time I've been game mastering Star Trek Adventures. So. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about how to run a game in online. Um, so how do you go about finding players for a game? What are your avenues for searching out players? So this is where I start to differ from other game masters, or at least that's what the feedback I keep getting. Um, I actually treat the player finding experience much like a almost like a job application. Um, all I do is I fire up a simple Google form, I ask a series of questions, and then I actually you know, do interviews with people that I feel would be good fits for the game. Um, so it's one of those things where if they pass the interview and they have a schedule that lines up, they have a working webcam or mic, depends on the game, um, we move to, all right, let's do a session zero. Let's get everybody at the table together, well, the virtual table together. And then if that goes well, then we actually have a game. And the benefit to doing that is, yes, it does feel like a job application. Yes, there are people who are going to write a bunch and not get in. But the benefit is that you're going to have players that really mesh well together. 
players that generally won't have a whole lot of problems. And especially for at least my perspective, I'm running streamed games. So I have to make sure that the players are going to be on time, that they're going to show up with the level of commitment needed. Um, obviously, if you're running just non-streamed games, you can get away with a hell of a lot more. Um, but that's basically how I go about getting a group together for a game. What kind of questions do you normally ask in your interview process? Um, it's honestly not that bad. Um, I usually ask, okay, you know, how much experience do you have with Star Trek Adventures? How much experience do you have with tabletop role playing? Um, is there any particular position you want to play, like a captain, chief engineer, things like that? Uh, is there anything that you think I should know about your applications, like preferred pronouns? Uh, anything you want me to know about your character's backstory? You know, very simple sort of application that lets the uh, potential player sort of fill me in based on what they think is important. And I think that that's better than, you know, going through a list of like 50 questions because nobody's going to do 50 questions on an application. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, what, what kind of limitations do you find there to be online play with online play? Um, well, the one thing that I initially shifted away from was uh, microphone only. Um, obviously, you can run a game microphone only, but I really feel that sort of visual experience that we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. um, you sort of need that in a game like this, especially when you get to the heavier topics, which Star Trek does occasionally. Um, you sort of need that visual feedback, that visual body language, um, which even with webcams, you know, you can miss something really important. Um, but I don't know how much you want me to delve into that because I could go on for that for ages. Oh, we are going to talk about the different video platforms and some of the drawbacks and advantages of those. I will agree though that while most of the games I run right now we don't use um, we don't use cameras, which it's mic only over Discord, um, and we use uh, um, Fantasy Grounds. Um, I like the experience of being able to have that. Um, I, I like. One of the things that I find it lacking is that you don't get that that um, table read. You can't read the room as effectively. Uh, and I think that that is a, a serious drawback to uh, not using web cameras. And again, even with web cameras, I think you'd still miss a lot of that. So uh, what do you think the benefits of playing online are? Well, one of the benefits, obviously, of playing online is that we're in the middle of a pandemic. So we can actually, you know, play a game together on the Internet um, the other thing that I like is you don't necessarily have to commit a full sort of five hours to a game. Like in college, for example, when I was game mastering, I would like have to set aside an entire night. But somehow online, people are a little bit more stringent about schedules where, all right, we're going to play for three hours. We're going to play for three hours and we're not going to have too much, you know, table talk. Whereas if you did it in person, you know, inevitably you'd order pizza or some food or, you know, we'd get on some random tangent and you'd be there for five to six hours kind of a thing. Yeah, I do find that there's a lot more, as you said, uh, being stringent with our timetables. That has definitely been an advantage for, for my games. Um, we end up doing table talk before the game. We try to make sure that because, you know, we're all friends. The, the group that I play with are really all have been very close for a long time. I think the longest, the, the shortest amount of time I've known anyone in my current group is my wife and that's been 15 years so um I, I i definitely agree with you there there are like i said we do some tabletop beforehand where we can get together and talk and get things out of the way so uh, mm -hmm. that's a good thing for those of you who have a hard time even with online games trying to get people to settle into their characters and that's something you do at, the, at an actual table too um, so we talk about virtual tabletops and you run roll 20 
Um, and I'm used to mostly, mostly using fantasy grounds, but those are not the only ones out there. There's Astral and Foundry and Tabletop and Let's Roll, that's R-O-L-E, Tailspire, uh, Tabletop Simulator, which I find absolutely abysmal, um, mostly just because I think it's it's not intuitive at all. Um, and then there's many, many more. So uh, what? why did you choose Roll20 over all the other options? Well, it was one of those things with Roll20 where I initially got into it again because of Dungeons & Dragons. So a lot of the features like dynamic lighting, API access, a lot of that I needed for my games at the time. Um, honestly, at this point, though, it's just what I know best. Um, I can spin up a campaign, a Star Trek campaign, and have it ready to go within 10 minutes. And that's including things like a Technobabble generator, uh, challenge dice macros, uh, NPC macros, and all the good stuff. Um, would I ever switch to another uh, virtual tabletop? Maybe. You know, I've been looking at Foundry. It has intrigued my interest. But it's one of those things where I would have to commit to learning Foundry over Roll20 again. Um, but I, I do agree with what you said earlier. Tabletop Simulator is almost a step even further away from running in person because of how how much they put uh, importance on the visual aspect of things. And it's, right. as you said, it's not really intuitive for the end player. Plus it's what, 30, 20, 20, 30 bucks that everybody has to chip in. Right. Whereas something like Roll20 or Foundry, the cost is on the GM. So right. now I will say that Tabletop Simulator for people who are playing board games, it's a, it's, well, that's what it's designed for. So it's, it may have its advantages there. I do own it uh, mostly so I can play HeroQuest, but it hasn't come up because I can't figure out how to use it properly. Um, I will say that Fantasy Grounds doesn't have any official support for Star Trek Adventures right now, although I, there has they have been working on it for a, a painfully long time. Um, there's a couple of people who, in the communities, if you're on the Facebook and whatnot, who are uh, Facebook groups that show regular um, screenshots of it and taunt us with the fact that it is not out yet. Um, there is a fan-created module. It's hard to find now because they've stopped advertising that it's available with the new module coming out. It works fantastically if you can find it. Uh, there are some flaws, but it's fan-made and it is what it is. Um, I personally like it. Um, so when you're using when you're using your virtual tabletop, what are you using it for primarily? What's, what's the purpose? Are you using maps and are you doing like uh, grid maps and, and having miniatures and all that stuff? Or are you doing more of a theater of the mind style that just happens to have a, a component of a virtual tabletop? So, and this might be tooting my horn a little bit here, but uh, it's a mixture of both. And it's one of those things where if you look at most any Star Trek adventure stream that isn't uh, Shield of Tomorrow or uh, what's their new one, Clear Skies, what you see is that same mixture where you do have sort of these set pieces like the bridge, sick bay, uh, you know, other sort of Star Trek set pieces that you can find online um that you throw tokens on just to represent who's in the scene um but then now and again you have actual like gridded combat or gridded maps uh with dynamic lighting and things like that and i think there's a reason why people that, again that are streaming have mostly adopted this thing that i've done is because it really works for star trek where you know dnd you need to have maps for almost everything star trek you can just throw up an image do theater of the mind a little bit and nine times out of 10, you're good to go. Um, and when you do need to do a map, it's very easy to sort of slip into that gridded mindset uh, compared to other systems. Yeah, especially when Star Trek uses more of a zone-based combat anyway, so you don't actually have to have a grid. I do something very similar. I'm mostly, I'm, I'm said 90% uh, just theater of the mind. I use the images um, to help engage 
uh, a lot of characters, any NPC that has an image, you know, any NPC they encounter has an image. Every ship they encounter has an image. Um, I try to image out scenes too. Like there was a bit where they, my crew encountered three Cardassian warships and I had a, an image of three Cardassian warships that was a really nice image that I found online. And I think that really does help with the immersion, especially when you're not sitting at a table anymore. And in a lot of ways, I think it's actually one of the major, major benefits of playing online is you get that visual representation that you don't wouldn't otherwise. So mm -hmm. uh, for video and voice, what do you use for your video and voice? I know Roll20 has a built-in video, uh, I'm sorry, built-in audio system, but I don't think they have video, do they? No, they've got video, but uh, I don't know anyone that actually uses Roll20 video and audio. Um, yeah, me either. <laughs> it's one of those things where, again, I'm a little bit unique because I'm doing the streamed games. Uh, I actually prefer Zoom uh, because Zoom is one of those very few platforms that has both HD and allows you to actually manipulate the order in which webcams show up in a meeting. You can't do that with Discord. Discord has... Uh, even if you're one of those, what are they, Nitro subscribers or whatever, right? you get a little bit of a bump, but it's, it's really, you start taking a hit in quality. And to my knowledge, there's not really a way that you can manipulate, uh, you know, order of operation here. So it's one of those things where you would have to re-edit your OBS settings every single time. Whereas Zoom, you just have people turn off, turning on and off their webcams at a certain order and you're good to go. Right. Um, I use Discord personally. Um, for most of my games, mostly because the audio quality is superior to to Zoom, in my opinion, um, it's substantially superior. Especially if you, especially if you are a Nitro subscriber, which I am, um, I can get ninety six k for those of you who are trying to figure out audio stuff. Whereas so far with Zoom, I found it somewhere around forty eight. Um, I'd have to look to see for sure the numbers though. And I know there are other platforms out there too. Like I know people who were using Facebook Messenger for a little while, uh, Microsoft Teams, which I don't recommend. They're mostly just <laughs> It's just a resource hog is all. Um, there's also Google Meets. Um, we used to use that years ago when I first started doing online. Um, so it's really kind of what you find to be the most effective. And if you are streaming, I would agree that Zoom is probably the way to go because of the video, the multi-channel video recording. Um, and you can actually all, all record your audio tracks independently, which you can't do with any other platform that as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. So uh, how do you run your games? What's your prep planning like what's your uh, what's your schedule look like when you're running games so that's a, that's a very involved subject so i'll try to keep it brief but uh what i usually do is i set aside maybe one to three hours every sunday or really sometime during the weekend and i just sit down and i more or less hammer out okay here's the general plot for the episode how do i get from point a to point b and then are there any NPCs, any set pieces I have to develop? Um, trying to think about how to say this. It's one of those things where I don't do the same level of prep I would have to do for Dungeons and Dragons, where I would have to sit down and I would have to plan out entire conversations, entire NPCs, because, and this might just be me, but I find that taking more of an improv approach to uh, scenes and NPCs seems to work out a hell of a lot better than um you know having like oh they're in this part of the conversation i have to drop xyz uh whereas with improv it comes more naturally um so i would definitely say i'm more of an improv gm than i am a scheduling gm but at the same time i'm almost mid-session i'm developing ways to uh sort of not divert but otherwise sort of guide the players towards whatever story i have for that week 
Um, Now, of course, there's challenges with that, where if the players do truly go off the rails, you're sort of left scrambling for, okay, how do I get them to hear? What do I do now? But again, I just have a lot of experience with improv. So I'm really good at sort of taking whatever the players are doing and twisting that into a Star Trek feel, quote unquote. Sure. That's how I've always run my games. I've always been kind of a uh, prep later kind of guy. So I, I like the, I do find that Star Trek adventures really lends itself well to that sort of narrative as well. Um, especially with the, uh, if you have a couple of basic challenges you could laid out, you can just kind of fit those in where you need to and get players where you need them to be. Uh, at least that's been my experience so far. Um, how do you deal with like scheduling with your players that you just have a set schedule? Do you guys communicate? What do you use to communicate that kind of stuff? We actually do use Discord, uh, ironically enough, for most of our logistics. Um, It's one of those things where it's part of the actual application process I mentioned earlier, where um, I make sure everybody commits to a singular time, uh, a singular day, whether we're weekly or biweekly or monthly, whatever it is, we commit to it. And then if a player obviously is going to be out or they have a problem or family emergency, they just let me know through Discord and then either if they're pivotal to the episode or if we can get away with them not being there, um, we can run without them. But it's one of those things where um, I'm somewhat of a stringent uh, person uh, where I sort of give people like two chances. Like they have to, you know, if you're going to be out and you know it, let me know. Obviously, family emergencies, you know, handle your handle in real life stuff. But if it's one of those things, again, because the stream game, if you don't show up to the game and I don't know why, we start to get into that discussion of are you still committed to this game kind of a thing. Sure. Yeah, which is absolutely, you know, uh, I think it's a good thing to get into a habit of that anyways in any game. I think if players can't commit to the game, it's disrespectful to the game master. And especially when you've got an audience relying on that game, um, it's important. Uh, so you use Discord for most of your logistics. Do you have any, what, what kind of technical challenges are there for, for the games you are running online? Like um, we talked, you talked a little bit earlier about macros that you use. Like what kind of stuff do you do uh, to, to make your life easier when gaming online? Well, macros are a big one. Um, if set up properly, you can do macros for pretty much anything. Um, what I love is uh, NPC macros and uh, the I'm pretty sure now that I think about it, there are at least two articles by me on continuing mission about how you can leverage, especially in Roll20, how you can leverage macros to make your life as a game master a lot easier. Um, now, what these macros do, for example, is let's say we're in Starship Combat. Uh, it can roll pretty much all of the NPC dice, all the ship dice for different tasks. Uh, it can auto roll damage. So all you have to do is push one button and you get immediate feedback that you just look at, grab what you need and go. Whereas, and I, again, I only have experience with roll 20. I'm sure there's a way to do something similar in the other systems, the other platforms. But for me, it saves me at least a minute on average every time I push that macro button. Um, there's also things like the techno babble generator, which is quite literally stolen from the operations book of uh, star Trek adventures, where I took the time to put in all the rollable tables. And so that you just have to push a button and you get a list of techno babble you can use. And it's one of those things where I found it's really helped the players having something like that, where they're stuck. They don't really know what's a techno babble their way out of something. They push the button and they go, Oh, I'm recalibrating, recalibrating the multiphasic ionic variance array. I'm like, okay, that's what's good. Have a momentum kind of a thing. Um, Technical challenge wise, though, 
really it comes down to does the internet feel like playing nice today <laughs> um if the internet is not playing nice with you then you're kind of sol um the other thing that i especially in my case because i use zoom for everything is unlike discord there's not really a way to adjust individual audio levels right. so you're sort of at the mercy of the player setups where if it's not set up properly you have to do a lot of technical work and that's partially why all my set all my sessions meet like 30 minutes early just to handle any technical difficulties at the right. time. I see I have one advantage over some people is I actually have a mixer that everything goes into. So back, uh, you can't see because my microphone's in the way, but that thing back there uh, handles all the audio for me so I can up and down. Um, it, it is a little bit more difficult with a computer setup like this because I only have one fader at the moment. Um, there are ways to do it where you can do multiple, but unless you're going to spend a lot of money on your streaming setup or you're just, you know, game with friends, I do not recommend trying to get into using professional grade audio gear. Um, it, Zoom does a good enough job at leveling people out for the most part. And a little bit of education on how to use a microphone is all you really need. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't have much else for for that. I do have a question though. What You talked about uh, a macro for NPCs and you talked about the ship being able to click a single button. Is that what you're talking about when you're talking about macro, NPC macros or do you have something else that you do with macros? Well, I also have... Uh things like okay does the npc need to roll like a presence and a command and it's one of those things where i could actually generate generate up a full sheet um the way it works in roll 20 for those who don't know is uh basically you click a few buttons it asks you some questions and it does the rolls for you that takes time so by having that npc macro already pre-done uh all you have to do is again push a single button get instantaneous feedback on whatever they're rolling Right. Um, and that includes things like focuses and things like that. So are you creating the NPCs in the system and then having it roll based on that? Or is it just kind of randomly creating all the numbers? Um, or you're entering the numbers in, I guess. A little of both. It really depends on the NPC in question. Like if it's just some random troop or one random Romulan Uhan, then right. yeah, it's it's more on the fly. But if it's like a like a major NPC, like uh, say Locutus, I haven't dropped Locutus on my players, but we're going to use him as an example. <laughs> right. um, Locutus will have an actual like full character sheet that I'll roll from. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Where do you get like images and stuff? Are you just like, where are you getting your resources from? Uh, Google, Google yeah. mostly. Uh, Art Station's another good resource. Um, DeviantArt, uh, you do have to wade through a lot of stuff to get good stuff on DeviantArt, but I think it's worth it. Um, there's also Pixiv. Um, a lot of people don't know about Pixiv because they sort of look at it and go, oh, that's just Japanese art. But surprisingly, there's a lot of things on there that you can use for your Star Trek games if you know what you're searching. Right. Uh, I guess the last question I really have going on this is um, not as an art, but do you use audio? Do you use any kind of any sound effects or like that with your with your games? Um, yes and no. Um, it really depends on the game in question. And again, it's different for me because I do streamed games and especially with all the new DMCA nonsense at Twitch, mm -hmm. I have to be really careful what I use for sound effects because I can get dinged and get DMCA'd for it. Which speaking of, uh, fair warning for anyone looking to use DS9 sound effects, someone is not with Paramount and CBS, but claiming DS9 sound effects, even like bridge beeps on YouTube. So don't use DS9 sound effects. Yeah. Everything else seems to be fine so far. Yeah. Uh, I tend to use Sirenscape a lot. And uh, Mr. Loomis, Ben Loomis is a, a friend of a previous show I did. And uh, I really like his stuff. So if you're looking for sound effects, that kind of thing like that, I recommend uh, 
for for most users, I recommend their stuff. I don't think their sci-fi stuff is real great for Star Trek, but it's good for almost any other game. Um, all right, that's all I've got. Do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, not really. I can't really think of anything else. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess my final thought for this episode is we live in interesting times and the COVID crisis isn't going anywhere anytime soon, regardless of what you may read elsewhere. Uh, it may be hard to sit around a table with your friends and play your favorite games for a while, but don't let that get you down and don't let it stop you from telling the stories that you really want to tell. It's a great big, beautiful tomorrow right now. You can reach out and touch the entire world without leaving your house. It's easier now than it has ever been to get started role playing. You have the protection of your, and privacy of your own computer screens, a wonderfully accessible game that is set in a very bright and hopeful utopia. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of nerds who want to spend just a little bit of time with you sitting around the flickering glow of your computer screens, telling stories to help keep away the darkness. It's not exactly how our cave dwelling ancestors did things, but you can scratch that ancestral itch, grow your tribe and indulge in a little escapist fantasy without having to clear your browser history afterwards. And on that note, uh, we're going to call it a wrap here next time on STA engage. Uh, we're going to, uh, to talk about uh, what we're going to talk once again with Jim Johnson, the one and only uh, we're going to sharpen our bat list, unleash the targs and drink some blood wine. Uh, as we talk about everyone's favorite murder hobos, I'm looking forward to this episode. So stay tuned next time for way of the warrior, or if winning is not important, then why keep score until then? Uh, if you like what you see here and like what you hear, uh, we want, and you want to help the show, just do us the favor and share this episode with one other person. That's all we ask. Share with one other person, a player, fellow game master, Star Trek fan, D&D fan, anyone who might get some enjoyment out of our, our show, please share it with them. Until then, I am your host, Dr. RPG, and on behalf of myself, my guest, ELH, my co-host who was not here today, Michael Dismuke, and everyone who works behind the screen, scenes behind the screens here, live long and prosper. <laughs>